Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. morning and it may be you one day um, we are asked to talk about spiritual disciplines and I was thinking what hasn't been covered like we do this every week so I asked my husband is hospitality a spiritual discipline he said that's a stretch <laughs> but I'm gonna stretch this morning I hope it's okay with you David <laughs> um, so my two-minute talk is begins like this do you know the person you're sitting next to have you, have you met them? Have you? Yeah, lovely. I mean, these guys did exactly what I wanted them to do. They shook hands and introduced themselves. So if you don't know the person beside you, can you do that right now? Say, hello, good morning. What's your name? Go do it, even if you know the people really well. That's for a couple of seconds. <laughs> Amen. Okay, okay. <laughs> and this is what church is meant to look like, right, guys? It's wonderful. It's part of hospitality. Coming into our church this morning, even, or at, when you come, it's like an extension of our home. We welcome people when they come in the door. When they sit down at the table or in the seats, we welcome them. We give them what they need. We make sure that they feel that they're part of things. It is hard coming to church. It's hard coming to church if you've got issues going on, if you've got, you're, you're, you're shy, if you're new. These are all hard things. So to have someone at the door going, you are welcome here, you belong, you are part of things. Um, to hear that is, is massive, I think. I mean, that's what happened with me. I was having a talk with someone a couple of weeks ago just about that, about feeling that you belong. We need to feel that we belong. There's a lot of lonely people out there. There are lonely people sitting right beside you. So if we can just be aware, I've probably gone over my two minutes, just be aware every Sunday when you come in, just shake hands with someone. It doesn't hurt. It actually does a lot of good. So anyway, just leaving you with that. That's a, that was a grandy andy kind of thing, because I'm old now. I can, I can stretch the disciplines a little bit. Um, I would like Carol to come up. And we have a focus um, that she is going to pray into this morning, a very important one, a very important one for our congregation. Great. Thank you. I get to pray for Celebrate Recovery this morning, which uh, I'm sure shocks <laughs> some of you. And this, for those of you that don't know, is a Christ-centered recovery program. Uh, we meet every Friday night at Highway Church, uh, 7 o'clock, and it is my passion. Uh, tomorrow, we are starting step studies. Um, tomorrow is Monday. At Ridge Church at 7 o'clock, we have uh, 50 or 60 people signed up. I'm excited because that's where the rubber hits the road. 
So those are going to be our, our prayers this morning. We're also celebrating 20 years of Celebrate Recovery. Yeah. And I've been there for all 20. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I, I am blessed. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for everything that you do for us, everything that is seen and everything that is unseen. Father God, I thank you for Celebrate Recovery, a program where your word is woven throughout every lesson. And I just love that. And Father, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is where the healing begins. Father, I just pray for the newcomers. <laughs> There's over half the people coming tomorrow are newcomers, Lord. I thank you for the courage. I thank you for what it takes to cross the doors to come in and reveal your life issues, reveal what is going on in your life. Come out of the denial that this is affecting the way that you live your life. And I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you that this is a ministry that isn't dealing just with drugs and alcohol. We are dealing with life issues, anxiety, depression, grief and loss, um, childhood trauma, the things that people have gone through that have caused them to not fill their live their lives to the fullest. And we know that you have a purpose for every life, that you love every person, Lord, and we want them to draw closer to you to uh, heal from whatever their hurts are so that they can fulfill that purpose. So I thank you, Jesus. I pray for this coming year in, uh, in Celebrate Recovery. I pray especially for the groups that are happening tomorrow night. But I pray for the plans that are underway for a celebration of 20 years of Celebrate Recovery. So I thank you for all these things, Jesus. I thank you for my church family that supports me and uh, frees me up <laughs> to do this. But I know that uh, Northridge supports us financially, Lord. We're grateful for that. They support us with administration as well. Father, thank you for placing that on their hearts for sharing the vision of serving this community. Amen. Thank you, Carol. Wonderful. I've got a couple of announcements, and I'm going to get off the stage and make room for somebody else. Um, so David just sent me a couple of things yesterday. There is a night of prayer. So if you have your phones or something, you want to jot this down because the dates are important. Um, he said, we have made a bit of an announcement that we have started to pray over our future facilities. Now we are inviting you to join us as we seek God's will for our next step. We will be gathering here on Wednesday, February the 21st. That's 7 p.m. Everyone is welcome to be part of this pivotal opportunity to pray. As we're family, this is what we need to do. We need to pray together. So if you can come here on the 21st at 7 o'clock, that would be great. And we'll give further announcements, I'm sure. The AGM, very important thing for family as well. That is the annual general meeting, which we all have to have as a nonprofit um, organization. 
we will need at AGM, which we have every year, will be on Sunday, March the 3rd. Directly after the service, we'll have some food and childcare, but plan to be out just a, a wee bit later than normal. So if you want to sign up to be a member, I promise you, you won't have to do anything horrible. Um, it's all good. Uh, we, just need, um, we just need some signatures and, and people to get behind what uh, is being discussed in our church, uh, our church life. So anyone can become a member. There are some caveats there. Um, if you want to question that, you can talk to David or, or the leadership here. And, um, oh, yeah, he said... Hang on, I've just got to get rid of my... I'm so not good at this stuff. He said he wrote that the night of prayer is on the 21st, um, on the 23rd, but it's not. What date is it? Yeah, it's 21st. Okay, gang, thank you. There we go. All right, was that Jen that woohooed the AGM? Who, was it Jen? I was like, I, th I thought of something. We need to call it the annual gen, general, is that what it is? Annual general meeting? Yeah, annual, gen okay, all right. <laughs> all right, thank you. Uh, at this time, if you are in grade 5 to 12, you are dismissed, but I'm hoping, no, they're not. Oh, I haven't been informed about this. They are? <laughs> yeah, you're dismissed. Um, but I'm hoping that um, the teachers might be able to bring them back at the end during communion. Jen, you're freaking me out. Did I do something wrong? Okay. <laughs> we need a general meeting uh, before uh, the service, I think. All right. Uh, as they sneak out, um, what I just realized is we haven't done offering. We were not, we're not going to. So there's a giving kiosk, and uh, you can look on the website for ways to give if, uh, if that's something that you were meaning to do today. So we'll leave that for now. Today is a very special day. Let's just say that Northridge knows how to do Super Bowl bye week. Like, we've got everything happening today. So uh, now that we've done worship and hosting, uh, we do have a message. I've, I think I'm starting to learn that, that when we've got a lot of things go going on, I can't go on and on in my message. So I've trimmed that, hopefully. We're also sharing communion. But many of you will also know what the feeding trough is for. We are going to be doing a couple of baptisms today. So it's a very special day, and we're, we're quite excited about it. So with that, let's get into this final chapter. We've done a, this is the fifth of a five-part series on 1 Peter, and today we're looking at all of chapter 5. And so let's begin with verse 1, and it goes like this. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So as Peter is wrapping up this letter, remember this is a, a circular letter directed at the churches of Asia Minor. So this is meant to be passed from church to church to church. And this is the end of his letter, of the five parts, this is the fifth. And here he starts to really urge or exhort his shepherds to do what they're called to do, to be shepherds of the flock of God. And it's interesting. So here he kind of, his credentials get listed, that the fact that he is uh, also a shepherd. And he would be broadly recognized as kind of the, the head shepherd of all of these 
shepherds throughout Asia Minor. But this is Peter, who has witnessed the death and the glorification of Jesus himself. He's a guy with some, some street cred. And it's interesting because here's Peter commission, commissioning us, really, to be shepherds. And if we think back, if you look back, I don't know if you want to flip there right now. I'm not going to have it on the screen. But John 21 tells the story of where Peter received his commission to be a shepherd. But to understand that, it's helpful to look back even farther. Uh, today we're going to be sharing communion. And uh, if you'll remember the communi communion's origin stories, it started with Jesus gathering his disciples one last time before he was going to be going to be crucified. Going to be going to be crucified. Going to be crucified. And he gathered them to himself, and at the end of, of demonstrating the bread and the wine, he says, you know what? Tonight's going to be a hard night. You're all going to fall away. You're all going to run for your lives. And Peter, the author of this book, was indignant. Remember, Jesus himself had changed Peter's name from Simon, which is like wimpy blade of grass, to Peter, which means rock. And Peter was like, no, Jesus, I will be with you. Like, even if I have to go to my death, I will stay with you. He was almost insulted that Jesus would suggest that they would all fall away. Or at least he wanted to see himself as different from the other. Maybe they will, but I'm not going to fall away. But you'll remember that Jesus prophesied over Peter. He said, you know what, even tonight, before the next day begins, you will have denied me three times. And we know when Jesus says something, it, it comes to pass. And we see in, it was John 18, where the, the record of Peter kind of lurking, not wanting to fully be associated, well, not wanting to be associated with Jesus at all, kind of, but wanting to know what's happening. He's kind of lurking around, and people start to identify him as one of Jesus' disciples. And you'll remember, he, he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And one of the parts of that story, it's a, it's a, it's a part of the narrative I've, I've always just kind of thrown away, is that Peter had kind of wandered into the courtyard of the high priest at that point. And there it describes that there was this charcoal burning, this charcoal fire burning, which again, I, I thought maybe the gospel authors were just kind of setting the tone or, or setting the context and, or the scenery so that if somebody wants to do the chosen years later, they would know to have a fire burning in this scene, right? But I didn't think about it until we get to John 21. And in John 21, Jesus at this point has been crucified. He has defeated death. He has resurrected himself. And now he is reuniting with his disciples. His disciples are out in the water. Jesus is on the shore. And he calls them, come on. And, and so they come, and, and they're together. And then there's this intimate part in John 21 where, where Peter's kind of pulled off to the side. And again, we see something really interesting. Jesus is sitting beside this charcoal fire, which, again, I don't know what it means necessarily, but I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. I think this is science. Uh, our olfactory senses, our sense of smell, is somehow really closely linked to our sense of memory. And I can only imagine how Peter was like transported back to his lowest moment where he experienced that same, it, and it says specifically a charcoal fire, the same smell. You know the smell of char. It's a lovely smell. Um, 
And, and, and Peter would have been transported back to that lowest moment where he denied his Savior three times. And it must have been, he must have been reliving this heartbreaking uh, experience all over again. So just a little bit awkward, sitting across from Jesus and now having this very intimate conversation where Jesus asks Peter, Hey, Peter, do you love me? And I, again, I don't want to insert too much tone into this, but I imagine Peter being like, I'm so glad you asked this question because yes, I love you. I know my actions may not have shown it, but yes, I love you. And, and, and so he's, yes, yes, Jesus, I love you. And he says, well, feed my lambs, which is a weird thing to say. So feed my lambs. And Peter's like, what? Okay, okay. And Jesus asking, Peter, do you love me? And I, I would imagine here, again, I, I'm probably inserting a little, a little bit of uh, background that might not be true. But uh, I, I just imagine him thinking, okay, he hasn't thrown me off a cliff yet. He hasn't forsaken me yet. He's inviting me deeper into this conversation. Oh, yes, Jesus, I love you. And he would have meant it. I love you. And Jesus said to him, well, tend my sheep. And again, Peter must have been just shaking his head. And so Jesus, again, says to Peter, Peter, do you, do you really love me? And, and Peter, I may be yelling it at this point, yes, Jesus, I love you. He says, well, feed my sheep. And this is this commissioning, specific commissioning that God gives Peter and gave Peter to be this under-shepherd, a shepherd under his own shepherding, under the shepherding of the Holy Spirit. This was God, this was Jesus giving Peter his mission. And so now at the end of 1 Peter, when we see that, um, that he is urging, exhorting the leaders to do the job of shepherding, there's something behind it. And I love, again, I will just say this before I move on. I love what's happening between Jesus and Peter in this moment too. Because Peter is probably walking around as much as he is excited to see that Jesus has done what he said he would do and he defeated death. He is alive before him. As much as that is true, he must be walking around with this lead backpack, this burden of grief and shame for what he did in the moment where jesus needed him most peter failed denied him three times and i love the way jesus walks through this jesus doesn't shake his finger at him doesn't kind of list off all of his sins i saw you peter i know you denied me he doesn't do that he doesn't heap more shame and guilt on him he asks the question do you love me and Jesus doesn't ask questions that he doesn't know the answers to, right? He knows. He knows that Peter's heart is for him. He knows he loved him. He also just knows that Peter screwed up. And so he's, he starts to invite him into this conversation. Do you love me? Yes. And, and it's, there's no calling up or stirring back up the, the hurt, the pain, the sin of Peter. Instead, he moves on and even transitions like, okay, we're done with that. Now I've got something new for you. You're going to be a shepherd to my sheep. You're going to shepherd the flock of God. All right. 
Uh, I swear we're not going to spend this much time on all of this. Th- this first part just really ministered to me, and I wanted to share that with you. Um, then Peter goes on to elaborate, uh, we're still in the same section here, about how we're meant to shepherd. He's, he tells us about not doing it under compulsion. You don't feel forced to be a shepherd. You should love this. I'm going to give you the gifts and everything you need to do this well. And he also talks about how this isn't something, uh, this isn't something that should be a, a, an act of a mercenary work or something that gives you this sense of power to be a shepherd. Don't do it for the money or the power. You're not meant to be a mercenary or a dictator. This is a really good quote from F.B. Meyer that I want to read to you. It says this, None of God's soldiers are mercenaries or pressed men. They are all volunteers. We must have a shepherd's heart if we would do a shepherd's work. Then the following, in the following section of Scripture, Peter points to a reward that is better than money and power. He says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, Peter's reminding us that we are under shepherds. There is a chief shepherd. There is someone who has the master plan of shepherding, and we're invited to shepherd his sheep under him. And then he talks about this reward of of an unfading crown of glory. And if you um, consider the context of of what that crown of glory might look like, uh, think that the Olympics were already a thing, right? And an Olympian who was a champion, would receive this crown. And, and typically, uh, if you've ever uh, read an Asterix and Obelix comic book, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe we're the only two. Um, there's this, it's like this laurel wreath that gets placed on the head of the victor, of the champion. And it's a huge honor. Everybody's competing for it. They all want this crown. But that crown, um, I remember... Uh, David and Miley's wedding, we tried and tried to preserve some of the foliage and, yeah, we YouTubed it, and I just don't think it went well. And there's, there's nothing you can do. Those, those crowns of glory in, in that setting, it, they can't be preserved. They're going to dry up, wither. They're going to go away. But we are being promised here a, an eternal crown of glory and an unfading crown of glory given by God himself. Let's carry on. Verse 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is almost like a a flip of audience or perspective where he's talking almost to the sheep. And and here, I, I love some of these things. If you're looking for a new tattoo, here's some good ones. Um, uh, look at these little snippets. Clothe yourself with humility. That's something you want to remember to say to yourself. Uh, God gives grace to the humble. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He calls us to be humble. And then, in that point of humility, he, he is promising to give us grace. He gives grace to the humble. Just let it out there. Um, I don't know if it was you, Andy, was talking about um, the power of confession. I, no, it might have been something. It might have been pre-service prayer. I've, it, was, it had happened today. But the, the, the power of coming to each other and, and confessing things to each other and the release that comes there, when we humble ourselves, God gives grace. 
but then there's more. He, in, he invites us to give him his, our cares and our worries. We're meant to cast our anxieties on him, and he'll care for them. And then finally, there's this, uh, with the call of humility, there's this warning against pride. And I think this is something, probably because your pastor struggles with pride. I've always been an arrogant little son of a gun. And so um, this is something I think that has crept into uh, a lot of different messages here at Northridge. Um, and, and there's a good quote, again, from F.B. Meyer, somebody I don't normally reference, but uh, there's a couple good ones. It goes like this. It says, pride is one of the most detestable of sins. Yet does it find lodgment in earnest souls? Though we often speak of, speak of it by some lighter name, we call it independence or self-reliance. We do not always discern it in the hurt feeling which retires into itself and nurses its sorrow in a sulk. We are proud of our humility, vain of our meekness, and putting on the saintliest look, we wonder whether all around are not admiring us for our lowliness. Isn't that awesome? But that hits way too close to home, so let's keep moving. Uh, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings, suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, this idea of sober-mindedness, this is uh, something, I, th I think God's saying something pretty clearly here uh, to us as a church is I, th I think that when it comes to humility, it's actually fairly comfortable. I don't know if I'm saying this the right way, but when, when we stand before the king of kings, it's easier to humble ourselves, right? We know our place in the presence of God. We know that we're not here. We're not like Satan challenging his authority in his place. We know that he is the king and that we are under him. So that kind of humility, I guess personally, I find a little bit easier. I have to be reminded sometimes that I'm not God. But that kind of humility kind of makes sense. But this idea of sober-mindedness, I think, points to an understanding of your vulnerability to the enemy as well. That we shouldn't be going and stumbling with bravado into fights with the enemy because he... He is, he's like a roaring lion looking around for who he can eat. He's looking to kill you. And he is powerful. And we shouldn't kind of be um, frivolous about that threat to our lives and to the, uh, that threat to our souls. We're called to be sober-minded, to be watchful. There's a really good quote. This one's from Adam Clark. And it's old, so he uses weird language. It says, he walketh about. He has access to you everywhere. This is talking about the enemy. He knows your feelings and your propensities and informs himself of all your circumstances. Only God can know more and do more than he. Therefore, your care must be cast upon God. Clark first identifies the strengths and the strategies of the enemy. He, he studies us. He knows my heart. He knows the soft spots. I'm not just talking about my abs. He knows like the things in my heart that are weaknesses. He knows the way to weasel in and hurt me or use me to hurt others. He knows me intimately and he wants to use that against me to kill me. 
Worse yet, he wants to kill me in a way that is so spectacular and damaging that he drags as many people with me to my death. That's the plan of the enemy. But I love in this passage, and then also followed up in the quote, how he identifies that God and God alone is our refuge and our defense. We are not meant to roll up our sleeves and flex and and pick fights with the enemy. Even though we walk in the authority as children of God, we're not meant to treat the enemy lightly. We should be sober-minded and lean on God and God alone as our refuge and defense. Go to him. All right, finally, as we draw near to the conclusion of this letter, there's this blessing from Peter. And so actually at this time, I'd like to invite our ushers to come forward and, and what they're going to do is they're going to distribute the elements uh, for communion. But what I'd like you to do is hold the cracker and hold the cup and just, just wait. There's going to be some teaching on communion, and then we will uh, we'll pray over the elements before we take them together. So thank you, ushers. And you can do that while I'm teaching here now. Um, let's go on to verse 10. Here God, or excuse me, Peter finishes with a blessing. He says, after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Did you hear that? The God of all grace himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That, that word establish is one that um, I was reviewing my notes again this morning. And I was looking at that word establish like, oh, I kind of now, I want to go deeper with that word and, and, and dig into, into more about what he means by establishing me. I have my thoughts, but I, I would want to kind of do some more study and prayer on that one. But this idea that he's going to restore, he promises, God himself promises to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. We are going to endure some suffering for a little while. But he's called us to his eternal glory. All right, and because we don't want to skip out the last three verses of this book, we will finish by saying this. Verse 12 goes like this. By Silvanus, a a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And that is the end of 1 Peter. I almost felt like saying the end. Um, That's the end of that, but we're going to transition into communion. And I've got a little teaching that I, I felt we needed to review on today. How are we doing for time? We're great. We're great. Um, in a moment, I'm going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, starting at verse 23. Um, and we'll go to 26. But um, before that, there, there's a section directly after that. Verse 27 actually says this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And actually, I'm, uh, no, I won't read that just yet. Um, 
and this, this thing, I've underlined the word uh, unworthy manner. And on one hand, this should perk up your ears. Okay? Um, well, not on one hand. This should perk up your ears. Uh, unworthy manner. This is something we want to be careful about. And so one of the things we say is, is what we're doing here, this is not snack time uh, in between the message and the baptism. This is something sacred. This is something we are, we are commanded to do. We're, we're called, thank you very much. Um, we are told to remember, thank you. We're told to remember Jesus and what he did this way. So there, there's something to this. And so when it comes to the unworthiness, really there are, there are people who have made the decision to follow Jesus. And this is something we do. And if you're not at that point yet in your journey where you've made the decision to follow Jesus, uh, then we would encourage you not to partake in communion. But similarly, and this is the part I felt like we really need to get right here. Um, there's, a, there's a passage in Matthew 5 where Jesus talks about uh, doing these spiritual things like communion. He wasn't talking about communion at that time. But when we're, when we're doing things, in this case, he was saying, uh, uh, leaving a, a gift at the altar. While that's important, while that is good, we're not meant to do it and not pay attention to our relationships and the things around us. First of all, I think what we need to be doing when we uh, assess our worthiness is are we worthy before God? And to be worthy before God doesn't mean you're good enough or you read your Bible recap this morning, and you're up to date and all that. It's, it's not about our, our works. It's about God's grace and saving power in our lives. Have we received that gift? Are we worthy? Has he made us worthy? Have we received the gift that makes us worthy? And then the second part of it is this. I would be a complete hypocrite if Andy and I were in bad relationship, where just before this we were in the in the prayer room, and I was telling her, Andy, I do not like your shoes. Those are stupid shoes. Now go up there to host, and we'll sort it out later. Okay, that's a terrible example. But if, if we're not in right relationship, that's another thing that can uh, cut away at our worthiness. And, and God's word tells us to get right first with God, but with each other too. We should be in good relationship. So that's another thing, is if, if you don't think that you're quite ready to take this, don't do it in an unworthy manner. Which brings us to what Paul wrote in verse 23. And if you wouldn't mind while I'm reading this part, just hold the, the cracker, hold the bread. And this is, um, this is, again, to set the setting, this is Jesus at literally the Last Supper. This is where the, it got its, its name. It's the Last Supper that Jesus and his disciples, disciples shared together. Um, this is written by Paul. He says this, For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just hold the bread and let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you had a plan uh, right from the beginning. Well, from before the beginning, you had a plan for us. When Adam and Eve failed in Genesis 3 in that same chapter, you had revealed, you revealed your prophetic plan to send your son to overturn the consequences of that sin and to provide a, a way to be back in right relationship with you, the Father. 
And we know that heartbreakingly that way was for you to give your one and only son, Jesus, to see him pay the price for my sin, for all of the evil things that I have done and will do, you paid the price once and for all through the blood of your son, Jesus. We, we acknowledge our unworthiness without you. And, and we remember what this broken bread represents, that, that this is your son's broken body, broken for us. We're, we remember and we're grateful. Amen. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, this is verse 25. It says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. And again, we know that this was no stroll in the park for you. And I love this picture of you in the garden praying to your Father, praying that if there was any other way, Lord, we, we know, Jesus, that you did not want to do this. Well, you did not want to be crucified on the cross. You did not want to endure the humiliation and the pain. But you did, and the thing that, that trumped it all was that you did want to follow the Father's will in your life. And that conclusion of your prayer where you say, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, we pray, Lord, would be the anthem for us as well. Jesus, we, we thank you for your shed blood. We remember and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a cup together. All right. Now the moment many of you have been waiting for. Uh, we're going to do a couple of baptisms. And I, I wanted to do, uh, I don't know if a quick, quick teaching, but I, I'm actually... Um, reading from our website. And I don't know if Rob wrote this or if I wrote this. It was a while ago. This is what it says on our website about, about baptism. I think it's well done. So if it's me, way to go me. Um, water baptism is an outward expression of what God has done and is doing inside us. When we go into the water, we are saying, the old me died with Jesus. Under the water, for just a brief second, we are saying, my sins are washed away, buried with Jesus. Coming out of the water, we're saying, I am a new person, born again into new life with Jesus. I want everyone to know that Jesus is alive in me, and I alive in, in him. Sorry, I'm pleasantly distracted by all the coolness that just entered the building here. <laughs> Baptism is immersion in water, signifying identifi identification with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It also signifies the cleansing and purification of sin which Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. This is baptism. Romans 6, verses 3 to 4 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce somebody very cool who has already found his way to the stage. Um, <laughs> shockingly. <laughs> um, and I, I just want to also say one more thing. Uh, we've got a lot of really cool young kids here. Um, one of the things we do, and, and 
just recently we've been able to dedicate both Silas and Elijah, uh, two little guys in our uh, part of our congregation, our family. Um, we, we dedicate babies. This is the decision by the parents to dedicate their children. Until there's an opportunity and the awareness of the children as they grow and, and grow in understanding for them to make a decision for Jesus for themselves. And so uh, with that, I introduce to you Mr. Benedict Millen. <laughs> yeah, it's him. Just in case you're wondering, it's him. This is the one. Um, let me talk about you, and then you're going to get to talk in just a moment. I know it's very exciting. Um, Bennett is eight, and so it was interesting. When I heard that Bennett wanted to be baptized, I'm like, okay, let's make sure Bennett knows what he's doing, because this isn't just a swimming lesson. This is, uh, this is you're making a, a big decision here. And so he went out, and I think I shared a little bit of the story of how he he really leveraged his uh, opportunity to get both a frap and a donut. Um, and I, I asked him, no, you don't get to talk yet. Um, and I asked him two specific questions, and I'm going to ask them again, Bennett. Are you ready for this? Okay. So the first question, and this is actually a bit of a weighty theological question. What does it mean? It doesn't matter. That part doesn't matter. Uh, what, what does it mean to be born again? And I'm going to hold the mic so that I can take it away when I'm done with you talking, okay? What does it mean to be born again? What it means to be born again is to basically you're being born in Christ because you got born with your parents on earth and now you've been born again in Christ. Brilliant. Well done. Good job, yeah. Amen. Okay, now here's the really big question, too, is why do you want to be baptized? I want to follow God. There you go. He had a much longer answer at the thing, but that's, that's really... Oh, you got more? Okay. I told me to unwrap it up. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, your grandpa, the owl saver, uh, that, that's a whole other story you have to ask about. He told him, just keep it short. Okay, that's good. Uh, that, that was good advice. Thank you, grandpa. All right, so at this time, what we're going to do is... We're going to get you to step into the water. We're going to call your mom and your dad to be a part of this as well. And uh, I'm going to put the mic down, and I'm going to ask you some questions, but that's just between you and me, all right? So let's do this. Just last year, we got to baptize that guy. And it's, you know what? Oh, shoot. Here we go. All right. It's a pretty beautiful, 
uh, model what discipleship is supposed to look like. Um, our kids are watching, right? Okay, that's all I can say about that. Sheesh. All right. Uh, now we're going to invite Miss Katie Kennedy to come on up. So I have, I've chatted with Katie, we prayed this morning, and uh, she's got lots saved, so I'm excited about what you have to share with us here. Okay, I guess we'll jump right in. So the start of my story all started when I asked Jesus into my heart at five years old, and again at kids camp every year after just to make sure. Growing up, I always knew of Jesus, but I never really knew Jesus personally until kids camp changed my life. Especially in 2019, that was the year I first encountered God's presence personally and where I received a calling from God to lead worship through my very own sister. Fast forward all the way to 2023, which is the most transforming year in my faith. Um, not a lot of people know this, but it was a challenging year for me. That was until I fully dove into my relationship with Jesus. That's when everything changed. And today I'm ready for my next step. If you really know me, you know I like to be prepared. I've been preparing for this moment a few months now, and when I listened to sermons on baptism, this thought stood out to me. Baptism is a public declaration to display your commitment to the Father and symbolize your new fresh life in Christ. It's like a wedding. You don't need a ceremony to get married. You can elope and sign the papers, but a wedding is the public declaration of your commitment to your partner to show people that you are going to live your life with and for that person. Baptism is just like that. You can commit yourself to the Lord in private, but baptism is a public declaration and it shows everyone that you are committing your life to live for God. I've wanted to be baptized for quite some time now, but if I'm being honest, I was super embarrassed. As I was praying about it recently, I felt an overwhelming peace and God gave me this simple picture. It was a windy pathway that was filled with obstacles and bushes with thorns, but it eventually cleared up and became a clear and straight path. I felt that this picture perfectly displayed my pathway to baptism as I've run into quite a few obstacles along the way with embarrassment and interfering schedules. Now I feel so much peace in this timing and God really has cleared this path for me today. All right, I want to invite Matt Chris up. He's going to be a blessing here. All right, so again, I'm going to put the mic down. And don't go away. Thank you, Bennett, because we've got one more thing we want to do after with both of you. So come on in. Sorry, Bennett, Katie, you're not done. I want to pray for you. And um, it's been something that's kind of stuck with me over the last little bit. I, I believe that uh, there will be people today that 
have received the, the, the spiritual gift of prophecy, who uh, have a prophetic word. Come on up, Katie. We're going we're gonna to pray over both of you at the same time here. Um, and uh, you might have a prophetic word that you want to share over one or both. Um, but um, while you're waiting for that, are you going to come up and, oh, yes, here we go. I didn't have to ask twice. Grandma's here on the job. So let's join together in prayer and agree. And we might kind of pop in and out of prayer, uh, but let's pray together. This is for Katie. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmothers, in uh, Linda Kennedy and in Jan Buzza, your grandmothers. And now it dwells in you. And um, I pray that you will follow in these footsteps all the days of your life. And I couldn't help but think of Bennett. And no wonder they say the angels rejoice because your great-grandparents are there. And they are rejoicing to see generation after generation following in the footsteps of Jesus. Well done. Thank you. Uh, you know what? If I, I love that you just came up, Steve. If there's anybody else who want to come up and put hand, lay hands on them, uh, let's do that. I'm going to pray, and then I'm looking for other people who might have a prophetic word. Father, we thank you. I love what you just said, Lord, where uh, the angels are rejoicing, the heavens are rejoicing at what's happening here. This is an intentional step towards you, Father. This is a, a decision to commit their lives to following you. We know this is no light thing. And Father, we know the enemy is not happy about it. And while we are sober-minded and humble about our position in that battle, Lord, we know that we can lean on and trust in the God who is above all and over all. And so we are safe. We are yours. Father, we just pray over these two, Lord, a blessing that they will know you. They will walk intimately with you. They will be protected and provided for by you. And they will love you. Praise in Jesus' name. that needs the microphone. All right. Go once, go twice. Oh, uh, don't go away yet, Bennett. There's some Andrews coming up here. Katie, no, no, you don't get to go away either. <laughs> I'm going to hand the mic over. This is Linda and Ken Andrews. We were so blessed to get to know these two practices and we just really saw their commitment to the Lord both both of them and um, Bennett I really was thinking of the scripture that Paul gave Timothy let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers in word in conduct in love in spirit in faith in purity till I come give attention to re reading to exhortation to doctrine on with all of that, but you have come to the Lord at a young age, and you're not to be despised because of that young age, because Christ has told us to come as children, and I, I pray that you will maintain this, this commitment to, to him through your whole life, and that he will bless you through that. And Katie, we just sense such a gentle spirit in you. You are such a blessing to us, and your gifting in worship you come to that with humility. You don't come to it with pride, which you could because of your gifting, but you come with humility. And so, Lord, bless you in that ministry. 
the word that I have is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And I pray the gifts of the Holy Spirit would come upon you in the name of Jesus, and that you would operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he gives to you, and we give you <coughs> the, he gives you the ability to carry out his work for his honor and glory forever. And we thank you, Lord, that you've committed yourself to that work that's in front of you, and you would be bold to spread the gospel. Oh, here comes the first lady. Uh, actually, this is for you, Judy. Um, we talked about this today, and as Peter and you, your testimony was that you had a, you've had some tough times, some tough years, some tough roads to to go through. But uh, I believe that God wants to establish you, and you're going to have to do a little digging about how He's going to do that. But um, we talked about this today. First Peter 5.10. You will suffer for a little while, but God will make you complete, steady, strong, and firm. He will restore you, establish you, strengthen you, and support you. What a great word. All right. You can be done shivering, I think. You're not shivering? Okay, she's shivering. All right. I, you know what? I am going to dismiss you guys to your parents, and or you, you can just go. <laughs> and uh, we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, so thank you. Bless you. So, and don't forget your phone. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to respond. Ow, chin hair got pulled by my thing. We're going to respond in the best way possible. Um, we're going to stand, and we're going to sing one more song. Uh, of worship together. So let's stand together and sing together. Amen. Amen. Uh, normally I get you to sit down, but we'll be quick. Oh, or you can sit down. Yeah, sit down. <laughs> we want to be normal, right? Oh, man, that, those lyrics preach. Um, I love what uh, what we just sang there, that idea where we're, we're singing this to God and we're telling him he's got no rival. We talk about this sometimes on Saturday nights where sometimes we get this misunderstanding where we've got God, he's like the little white angel on the cartoon shoulder and then you've got the devil on the other, on the other shoulder. And they feel like they're at a war against each other, which is true, but it's not a fair fight. We serve a victorious king. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Even death could not hold his son Jesus in the grave. He is Lord even over death. Nothing is not under his authority and, and dominion. And we get to worship him. We get to praise him. I love that, ly that other lyric, the, the Living Hope, which was the title of our sermon series. And we'll, we'll send you away with this, that he is our living hope. He's our only hope eternally. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except for through Him. He is our only living hope. But it's, it's a life-giving hope. We get to walk out of here. We get to see it on the faces of, of Katie and Bennett. They're different. They're new creations. We get to walk out of here transformed because we serve the King of Kings. Does that make sense? All right. 
Uh, do you mind putting up, sorry, putting you on the spot here, Josiah, the second to last slide from the sermon. In it, there's a, a blessing. I wasn't going to do this, but there's a really, um, I think, powerful blessing in here. Um, there you go. You got it. Let me just read this to you. After you suffered a little while, the God of all grace is my blessing for you, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And we all said, amen. Have a wonderful day. at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.